Don't believe the hype. Read the type. This is Type Beast. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Type Beast, baby. Yo, man. It's going to be a hot one. You think so? Focus hot off the presses. No, actually, it's kind of, it's oh. not that fresh. <laughs> All right, so in this edition of Type Beast, we'll be looking at the book, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, The Truth About American Church's Complicity in Racism. And the reason why we're doing this book is it was requested by our, one of our listeners, one of our six centers, Mark Ryan. <laughs> uh, so shout out to Mark Ryan. Uh, he's, he said that... Um, yeah, thanks for giving Darnell homework. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but he, he was saying because the, the last... Uh, type beast was uh, Charlemagne the God, uh, black privilege, and so he was saying like this might this would be a good um, contrast similar but different. Yeah, a good contrast of comparison because w- w- with um, Charlemagne and black privilege, he was kind of saying okay, you know, they're really, you know, black people can create for themselves by. Um, you know, using the skills that they have, using the gifts that God has given them, the privilege that they have. Everybody has a privilege to use to advance themselves. And that's what Charlemagne's saying, who's a secular guy, unbelieving guy. But then now you have a Christian guy who's saying, well, somewhat the opposite. And that, you know, you know, black people can't elevate without the help of um, the institution of government and the church. So that's what we're or. Argue, would you say he's, or or maybe he's also taking the position of undoing the hindrance that the current institutions and government, um, like, because I'm thinking of redlining and stuff along those lines. Yeah, 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 of, yeah, yeah. So well, he's yeah, kind so. of critiquing the current institution's systemic racism. So whether it's government helping, he's all, but the other side of it would also just be saying remove the government hindrance or the systemic hindrance. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So essentially, uh, along those sentiments, he's getting at the 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 whole um, underlying premise of the book is the color of compromise is about telling the truth about the church's role in racism uh, in America, so that reconciliation might occur across racial lines. And so essentially, like he's making an argument that. The injustices we see in the culture today is because of the church's reluctance to speak out against it. So he says, uh, the church's, so he has a quote and he says, churches provide fertile soil for the seeds of hatred to grow. And he was using this along the lines of the bombing that happened um, at a church where four girls were killed. And so he was saying that that bombing was caused by the church's reluctance to speak out against racism in their own families and their own communities. So it created a fertile soil for that kind of terrorism to happen. And so here's a couple other quotes. So he says, uh, the church is the, well, he's saying the book has shown, and this is at the end of the book where he summarizes it again. And he says, this book has shown that Christians crafted and preserved a system of discrimination. So essentially, he's saying that the church is the problem and the church can provide a solution. 
Uh, to that, I would disagree, and I would say that sin is the problem and Jesus is the solution. Amen. Not to be overly simple in my my, you know, thoughts, but but yeah, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head that to to say the church is the problem is I don't know well, overly simplifying any problem. Well, well, so right, so essentially that's well, that's bad ecclesiology. Uh, ecclesiology, the study of the church. So the approach that I wanted to take with this book was I wanted to, okay, well, first. Give it a fair shot. Yeah, well, okay, well, well, okay, as far as a fair shot, um, I really enjoyed, I'll start with the positives, right? So I really uh, enjoyed the the history because I'm a history major. So uh, I believe that there's blood on everybody's hands when it comes to history. So mm-hmm. it it was good to to see an you know another perspective on the way the churches played a role in in racism throughout America, and so like I enjoyed I enjoyed the historical aspect of it. Unfortunately, I, I didn't I didn't read the book, but I'm familiar with the guy. I did a couple a little bit of my, my own research. I took in some audio. I listened to a, a talk he gave. Uh, uh, I'll put the the link in the show notes page. Um, it was at the Institute for Leadership and Service. I think it was actually at a church, but that's just a institute that the church had. I could be wrong, but, um, and, and yeah, I think he definitely, um, wanted to paint, a. a th- it, it sounded like he did a lot of research to paint, uh, a good historical picture. And, uh, so I also, you know, read Sam Say's article. Actually, I, as I was reading Sam Say's article again in preparation for this, I was like, I remember reading this. Like, I was having a little bit deja vu reading uh, Sam Say's article again. But both Sam Say and and James White had the points that really, for the first six chapters, seven chapters, it was a really good historical, uh, you know, content. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It, it was. And so, I, no, I didn't. I didn't read. Uh, Sam Say's article or, or do any other research on anybody's report on the book because I just wanted to attack it with a clear mind and, and add something to the conversation about the book. Basically, uh, the approach I'm going to take is an exegetical one uh, because this is, I, I feel like this is, this is a, a Christian conversation about uh, the, the economic disparities we see within the culture. And the reason why I want to take an exegetical, and sorry, um, when, for those who don't know what exegetical is, is, is basically using the text to draw meaning out of the text versus an eisegesis, which is using my own opinion and putting my own opinion into the text. And so the appro- the reason why I want to take that approach is because I felt like the book was... Well, the book is, the content is dangerous, for lack of a, a better word. I, I would find the ideas very dangerous. And what I mean by that is anti-biblical, anti-gospel. And so I felt the need to make sure that I, I do a thorough rebuttal to some of these arguments. And I'm starting from the point of scripture because, you know, it's it's written to Christians. So... The reason, and so when I say that, what I'm saying is that I'm looking at the verses he brings up, and I'm looking at those verses. So I'm not, you know, when you get into a, a debate with with somebody, 
about this about the Bible. And what ends up happening is, you know, you bring up a verse, Joel, and then I bring up a verse to to um, as a rebuttal Respond. to that one, right? As a, as a response. So, so we're going back and forth and we're only just throwing scriptures back and forth at each other. But, you know, for those of us who um, hold to the idea that uh, scripture is sufficient and it's, and it's self-contained and there are no contradictions, I'm using it to say, okay, look, I'm not going to throw another verse against his verse. I'm going to look at the verse he's at and then exegete it from there and look at, okay, well, look, was he interpreting the scripture properly? And that would be the point of discussion, right? Mm, so mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of see where I'm going with this? You know, you're testing someone else's claims, especially, you know, in the sense that he's making claims that he's arguing are supported by text yeah yeah and he's saying that, that that these ideas that he's pitching mm -hmm. are biblical which i i agree I, I totally disagree that it is not biblical uh, according to hi, him and how he handled the verses the proof so, text that he used the proof texts that he used uh were not interpreted correctly so i'm going to interpret those ones correctly okay so just for the the listener um when you say his, you know, it's not biblical. Is there an overriding uh, principle or an overriding concept that from the book that you would would you would apply that to, or do you want to just get into some specifics? So it's weird because uh, his hermeneutic is not biblical. So when I say hermeneutic, so when I mean hermeneutic, I mean there is a principle in which or a lens people use to interpret the scripture. So, so, so there's, there's different kinds of hermeneutics, like a, like a Christ-centered hermeneutic, uh, a Trinitarian hermeneutic. Um, the hermeneutic he's using is inequality. So he's, are you, so he's al almost always using inequality as his starting point for looking at the text? Or are you saying, based on the book, that's what you've interpreted? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so, so I can see why he came to the conclusions he came to because his underlying premise is starts with inequality. Starts with inequality. So that's the ultimate sin that must sin. be rectified. Okay. And so he's going to use so, proof text to prove to prove that to prove um, that 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 principle he's using to in, to interpret um, the culture is biblical. So he's going to use uh, Bible verses to support that. Based on and and but when he's looking at those verses, he's looking at them through an inequality lens. Yes, yes. Now, would for the listener, what would you say would be your hermeneutic or your? Okay, yeah, your that's view a good question. Lens? So, so my hermeneutic is that um, the Bible interprets itself. So again, that's why I said I'm not going to be throwing other verses in response to him. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, he used this verse, but what about this verse? He used this verse, but what about this verse? I'm like, no, I'll meet you where you're at. And I'm, and the reason why I'm speaking this way is because I want to provide an apologetic for our listeners, a defense against um, this type of rhetoric. Because the, the, the book is addressed to white Christians in general. And it's basically mm -hmm. calling white Christians to repentance for the sins of other people that look like them. So in a sense, he, he, he he's kind of saying like okay well you know white people have continually uh missed the mark in regards to or white christians have continually missed the mark in fighting racism therefore white christians today need to step their game up and get on board uh the woke train um 
I was I hung out more in the intro and the conclusion because the body is made up of um, the historical events. So, of course, the intro and the conclusions, he's basically laying down the foundation of his thinking and using proof text for that and then concluding with 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 proof text. And okay. so okay. Um, so so the apologetic that I'm using, I'm, I'm going to use an acronym to help help you remember how to handle these kind of arguments that come from this book. Right. So the acronym is. Chulo. Chulo? Chulo. Okay. C-H-U-L-O. Now, for those of you who speak Spanish, well, <laughs> chulo <laughs> means um, pimp or um, pretty boy. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so, so off the bat, they'll be like, okay, this is not, okay, this is unchristian. I think I can remember this. <laughs> right, right. So okay. I, I, I guess I guess it's the teacher in me, you know, you got you to you shock the students so that they could remember. Like, oh, give them a reason to remember. Yeah, yeah, give them a reason to remember, right? It's, it's, right? <laughs> it's not cross. It's, it's chulo. It's pimp. You okay. know, like papi chulo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as soon as you said that, I was like, "Wait a second! I've heard that in some TV show somewhere." <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so don't worry, don't. Worry, but we're still gonna keep it biblical. We're still gonna keep it biblical. Okay. We talk about pimps, but we're still gonna keep it biblical. <laughs> okay. So, what does chulo mean? Or okay. Stand for? Okay. So basically, uh, chulo stands for. We're gonna talk about the the church. Uh, we're gonna talk about H is the hatred. U is a word that i made up right so you is okay. a word so the you is unempathizable okay l is for uh, legislated diversity versus spirit-led diversity okay and then o is for other brothers okay Okay, so these are these. All are right, the- <laughs> so let's see where you're gonna take this chulo. <laughs> chulo, <laughs> right? Okay, so the chulo principle, I guess. <laughs> right. Okay, so so C stands for church, and his main premise, and like I laid out before, is argument against the church and that the church has been complicit in racism, and that's why we're seeing um, all these injustices today. And so my thing is this: he he already starts off with a bad ecclesiology. Right. So okay. essentially for the for the less technical listener. Uh, so uh, ecclesiology, is, ecclesiology is a study of the church. The argument is this. So if somebody brings that to you and again, I, I, I agree with Jamar Tisby that um, the church hasn't got it right throughout history. And they have been they've had a role in um, in racism. But I believe that. There's a verse that you have to, you can't brush under the rug. And so the, the verse I'm using is one that everybody knows, and it's Matthew 16, verse 18. And that verse is, Jesus says, upon, th- upon this rock, Peter's confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And what Jesus, Jesus is saying here is he's proclaiming that the church will advance right so it's a proclamation of advancement and the church will thrive and it will advance right Mm -hmm. so 
so now that so now you're thinking like okay well you know it's the way you, you read the book it sounds like you know the church has not been advancing right but here jesus says i will build my church it's uh, not darnell. like there's that undertone to the way yeah but that but that's yeah but he yeah but that's not the tone um he takes with his ecclesiology um that that the church has been slacking mm-hmm. um and the church will continue to slack and all I'm saying is that this, you know, Matthew 16, 18 is, is, is an encouragement because it's Jesus who builds the church, not Darnell, not Jamar, not, not, not Joel. Um, but Christ is building his church and his ch- church will prevail despite our stupidity. So, for example, th- th- this is a sentiment in regards to his, this is a verse or a, um, a quote about his, his ecclesiology. And he says this, the black church in particular has always been a bulwark against bigotry. The black church in particular has always been a bulwark against bigotry. So you, you start seeing him comparing the black church and the white church. And so, you know, the church, mm-hmm. you know, the white church is of course dropping the ball and the black church is a bulwark against bigotry. And you kind of get that sen- sentiment that the black church is better than the white church. And I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a sound, biblically sound way to, yeah, talk about the church, talk about the bride of Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. But now, I mean, at the same time, to you know, I know in the talk I was listening to, he did kind of make the claim that the the you know the black church was the result of racism, like mm-hmm. it, it became a necessity mm-hmm. um, because yes. of the inability. So, right, and right, again, but, but just yes, to contextualize yeah. it properly. Yeah, yeah, and 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 part of the solution, um, in a sense, um, is the black church and the white church getting on board with the black church, and 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 that's that was kind of his solution, um, mm-hmm. his ecclesiological well, and, solution. And I think the quote you read, the fact that it says always, like, the black church is always mm-hmm. a bulwark against bigotry. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, obviously you're not talking about, you know, bigotry to every race. You're only talking about bigotry towards black people. Right. Right? Because, I mean, if you assume people are sinful and we're all biased in some capacity or another, you're, to, to use the word always is to say, like, are you saying no black church has ever been um, bigoted towards Mexicans or any other group that's, you know, the outsider to them. Right. Um, I would say it's a pretty bold statement to, to suggest it's never happened or, or that it's, you know, uh, not something that needs to be repented of. Right. And so now that brings up my next point, the H, uh, that which has to do with hatred or the conversation about racism. Right. So now, of course, you know, this book is about racism. So he talks about. Uh, racism and defines it so he's, he quotes from uh, beverly daniel tatum and he uses her definition of racism so it's a system of oppression based on race prejudice plus power and so he says this if racism can be made it can be unmade page 36 right so he i'll say i'll say it again if racism can be made it can be unmade and so essentially he's saying okay well the complicit 
Christian or complicit Christianity worships whiteness. And then courageous Christianity embraces racial and ethnic diversity. Right? And so what I'm saying to the listener is like you we have to make sure that we are defining these these, these terms properly. So so when a person brings up the idea of, you know, prejudice plus power, again, we have to make sure that we are nuancing our words. And especially those of us who are in the, in the reformed camp, we love to, you know, oversimplify um, our language and making sure that we're speaking in a clear way and that the words we're using are nuanced. So, we, you know, we spoke about this before, Joel, in regards to um, understanding the difference between discrimination versus bias and prejudice. Right. So discrimination mm-hmm. versus bias and prejudice. And a lot of times people use those terms synonymously and throw them around. But uh, discrimination is, is, is an amoral term. So it's an overt act that takes place in the real world. And then a bias prejudice is attitudes in someone's head. You know, if you think of it in the sense of, you know, if we just applying those words simplest, like in a very simplistic manner, you know, it's like discriminating between two options. Right. right, you're just making a choice versus a prejudice. You know, you're prejudging, right? So it's and not even some, making a decision between two choices. Right, 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 so yeah, right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So you're not making a decision, but it's it's something that happens in the head. And discrimination is something that it's a characteristic of something that you're um, make you're critiquing, right? So so when I, I say all that to say that, like we said a couple episodes ago, we talked about uh, racism being an um, amoral. So. Amoral meaning that racism can be applied in an immoral way and it can be applied in a moral way. Well, I think I think the action that it's applied to is what's relevant. Oh, racism in this context or, or a decision is based on race in this context. Oh, that's immoral. But another context. Oh, wait, I don't have a problem with that. Like if I were to say that like me, I like I practice racism and I use it well in a positive way. I prefer black women, right? So mm-hmm. now there's people who will give me a pat on the back and say, you know, amen, right? Um, but again, I'm discriminating because uh, based on the color of a person's skin for mm-hmm. who I would like to spend my life with versus um, I hate you. Um, I hate that person because of the color of their skin in a negative way. Or you know, beating up somebody because of the color of their right, skin. Right, right, right. You know, or even right. like, even like, you know, hiring. And we talked about this numerous times about hiring. Well, is it okay to hire somebody based on the color of their skin? Not to go down a rabbit hole, but, you know, the argument always goes, well, if you're black and you want to hire black people because you want to empower the community, then... That's a good thing. Then, it, then it's a good thing, right? It's it's a, it's a righteous thing. But if you're a white person and you want to hire your own people, well, then it's looked at as a negative thing. Um, so again, just, but it's the same thing. But it's the same thing, right? <laughs> right. You know, and, and then we I talked about Asians, right? When we go to um, Ample, right, or yep. Oceans, right, and it's only Asians working there. It's mostly Asians working there, and we're like, okay, so well, when are you gonna, you know? And, but a lot of black people go there to shop. <laughs> Right, but there's no black people yeah. there, so we're like, okay, so why aren't you guys hiring black people? Well, no, they have it's their business. They they develop they um you know raise the capital to buy the business, so they have a right to do what 
do with their business as they please. But again, well, if I, you believe in property rights, pardon? If you believe in property yeah, rights, right. yeah, yeah. But essentially, <laughs> essentially, like when these conversations come up, I think it, it's good to make sure that we are um, logically thinking through the practicality of our language. Yeah. So again, that's H. Okay. So moving on, uh, the next one is you. And so in the book, the whole argument is that um, in order to make reconciliation between whites and blacks, the call, um, Jamar Tisby calls white people to come in and not sympathize, meaning uh, to be able to um, relate or, 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 or sympathize or um, feel sad along with black people, um, cry with those who cry. But it, it's taking it a step further. He wants whites to empathize with black people, right? To get a little closer, uh, to walk in our shoes and bear our burdens. But the problem with that is that for white people, you know, black people, for, for, the, for black people who have suffered racial trauma or post-traumatic slave syndrome or hold to these ideologies, they're unempathizable. You can't empathize with these types of black people. Why? Because they're hurt. It's hard to reconcile with somebody who's been broken. Meaning that forgiveness isn't given. So for the white person who feels guilty because of what has happened in the past and then they go to a person uh, who has so who suffers from racial trauma or post-traumatic slave syndrome or holds to these ideologies, forgiveness won't be given. Right, all you'll get mm -hmm. is a bill for reparations, which we'll talk about later. Or it like it's just never enough. White people can never do enough, can never tweet enough, can never share enough, um, can never pay enough to receive forgiveness and reconciliation with these types of black people. So there's a TV show that I watch with Jenna. Uh, we watch Survivor, um, and actually, like. There's a, it's interesting. There's a scenario that unfolded in the, the episode, the series, the season we're watching now, where the, a white guy called the bandana a do rag for the black guy. And, and the black guy took a lot of issue with it. But once the whole thing had transpired, and, you know, I heard what the black guy said at the end to kind of say, like, how much he actually appreciated the comments, you know, after the fact. So, uh, I mean, for, for the, to oversimplify it, the black guy had basically had said, like, calling it a do-rag um, was, was, you know, kind of, I think for him at least, it sound and again, I'm trying to oversimplify it, it sounded like he was saying, like, you know, he's fought the stereotypical black men characterizations that he's dealt with his whole life. And this is another example of it. And that's why, it, you know, it bothered him. And yeah, it was a trigger. Him. It was a trigger for him. It was a trigger, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and maybe not so much it was triggering uh, for him in the moment. But what it was was it was an, uh, another person carrying on a stereotype that he's always had to battle. And so, you know, he then turned around and was like, you know, and, and even the white guy in the show was like, as soon as I said bandana or do rag, I was like, why did I say that? You know, like it was almost subconscious, like for him. And, and, and so what I really appreciated was like at the, like the last segment was like, 
you know, the two, the two of them, I guess, had a, a talk, whether it was like hours later or whatever. But the, the black guy basically was like, that, it, it, it sounded like the, the interaction was actually more healing for him. Sorry, and that's healing, the whole reason why who? the black guy. So, okay. like, the fact that he brought it up to... Because he said something like, I've never had such a positive interaction with somebody over something like this. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and the only reason why I bring it up is to say that I don't put that guy in the same camp as Jamar Tisby. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because of the way that he paints the picture. Right? Jamar Tisby's, you know, to your point, like, it's never enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's never enough. There's like and this is the criticism towards, um, you know, many of the, you know, the social justice slash, um, you know, reparation type of conversations. It's like, uh, you know, you're you're calling me, let's say me as a representative white guy, calling me to um, repent of a sin that maybe my forefathers committed. And maybe it's related to you in some capacity or another. And so there's, you know, it's not like true, I'll call it, I don't want to say true injustice, but particular injustice. Maybe it's not like, it's not a particular injustice where I can say, okay, here's what I did and I'm repenting slash making a restoration for the particular uh, act that I committed. It's a general injustice to a general group of people. Mm-hmm. And 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 there's no there's no way to resolve that because there's no particular. Right. And and, and that's the thing, because he, he uses the verse and when we talk about forgiveness, it this issue of racial injustice, he kind of gives it a tone of like it's a salvific issue, like it has to do with salvation. And he uses Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten, and it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so you hear that verse, Joel, and I asked the guys in our um, CLS uh, what's up chat to exegete that for me. So shout out to uh, Phil Thomas and of the Afterwatch and Steph. Uh, Stefan Newstyle Dindile, a.k.a. the Econ Don. <laughs> who uh, helped me out with the exegesis of the passage and basically yeah it, the, the sentiment it has to do with salvation and what you're repenting from and i don't think that that's fair nor nor is it uh biblical to say to whites to repent of sins you didn't commit sins that other white people committed to repent for their sins um, in the context of, well, you may not be saved because you're not, you're not confessing that sin of racism or that you have hidden racism, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and that's why when I saw that passage, I was like, wait, this, this is a salvific passage, and that's why you saw me in the group chat, like, kind of pushing, like, hold on, is this, is this about salvation or is this about like, um, you know, not lying or apologizing after you get in a fight with somebody? But, but the context is salvation, and, and I think that raises the intensity of the situation, which I don't think is necessary. Uh, and so it, I think it's important to nuance that repentance, the word repentance, the Greek metanoia, which is to 
change your mind. So what are we turning away from? We are turning away from our sins and we're turning to uh, Jesus Christ, right? That's where mm-hmm. the first reconciliation must happen. Not mm-hmm. turning away from uh, your sin and turning to uh, Jamar Tisby or or turning to um, the, the um, Democratic Party. And so I think it's important that that nobody can hang anything over your head in regards to um, that reconciliation. The first reconciliation that comes must be with Christ and then everything else, um, you work that out because some people, you just can't please some people, like I said before. If you know what it's so, like to not be forgiven, you know, it's a terrible feeling. But if you can be forgiving by the Lord, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful feeling. So for, you know, if I'm going to break this down correctly i would and and tell me if i'm wrong if 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 you think i'm not breaking this down correctly but if i'm looking at the sin of you know racism um and in a sense of you know hating someone based on their race or or i mean obviously there's the hate hate aspect of sin yeah well well, 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 in the context yeah but but in the context of the book it's it's more so um like policy wise um, and not speaking out against um, Jim Crow. Yeah. Well, right? so I, actually, I want to focus. I want to focus on the text and applying it to the sin. Mm-hmm. I was actually gonna like to just to you know for the listener to go. Okay. Well, wait a second. How how is what you're saying? You know, the like if we're exegeting it properly, um, the the if I was looking at racism in the con and applying it to that con or t- apply trying to take racism and saying okay if it was racism in the in the in the t- that I'm looking at the text um, or using the text to look at I would think the 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 sin against God is that um, I'm essentially Imago Dei right that we're all made in the image of God mm-hmm. is that Imago Dei is that right yes the Imago Dei right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was like, "Oh wait, did I just use the wrong Latin? That would be brutal." But anyways, the point I'm trying to make is that like the primary sin that you're repenting of is that you're not looking at another human as the image of God. You're degrading him from that status, and and so, in essence, that's a sin against God. It's not a sin against man primarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that is that a fair? Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I I would agree. And and all I'm saying is that like. You know, when somebody says, okay, you know, repentance means you have to pay me, but Jesus already paid for my sins. That's penitence. Well, okay, right. But again, again, um, <laughs> and that's my point of um, that, you know, for whites trying to reconcile with blacks who hold to these ideas, blacks are unempathizable. I, and I'm going to come back to this point when I get back, when I get to um, the letter O. But okay, let's move on. To the next point, which is L, right? Yep. So the L has to do with legislated diversity versus spirit-led diversity. So he goes to he 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 references Revelation chapter seven verse nine, and he calls this. Uh, the blueprint for for um, diversity and equality, right? So I'll, I'll read okay. it. Okay. 
Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. A great multitude from every nation. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right? And then okay, and then so he pairs he... it and no and then he pairs okay. it with uh Matthew six ten, where and that's the passage where he says, uh, you know, pray this prayer or pray pray this prayer, our Father, the Lord's prayer. Right? Um mm -hmm. your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So you know, he's, he's cross-referencing Revelation 7, 9 with Matthew 6, 10. And so we pray on, we pray for um, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we see in heaven? We see a multitude worshiping before the throne, right? And so what he says is... So I guess before you, I just want to know, do you think that that's a fair pairing of texts? Uh, okay, hold on. Oh, let me just, let me just read okay. his quote uh, okay. as he summarizes. So he says, Christians have been mandated to pray that the racial and ethnic unity of the church would be manifest even if imperfectly in the present page 15 right so he says here that this is a blueprint on how to uh, seek unity right now so that it's a blueprint and motivation to seek this kind of unity and to answer your question, no, I don't think that is a proper uh, application of the text. Mm -hmm. So, for example, okay, so the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Uh, and there are some points where, um, you know, it's giving a prescription and it's telling you what to do. And there's some instances where it's describing. So, the, so this passage is, is descriptive right mm -hmm. in the way it's written yep. um it's not prescribing and telling us what to do but it's telling us what happened yeah well and and i think where you're going with this is like criticizing his then application but i'll, I'll let you continue yeah cause... yeah so so like so like good like good um exegesis always asks what did it mean to them then mhm mm Right. right. So, so, so what did the author intend for the uh, audience to in, to take out of the text? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm going to continue reading from verse nine. So so it's helpful to, of course, you know, read, um, continue reading from the verse from where they were at. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the passage tells us that these people are martyrs. And then, you know, you scroll down to verse 17. And then it says, for the lamb is the for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes so this is a picture of the end like the end end mhm mm 
in regards to why. Why do we know it's a picture of the end end? Because God will wipe away every tear. Mm. Right? He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. So we know that that's not happening now because there's people <laughs> there's people in the church still crying now. Um, and even mm-hmm. the people that are there worshiping are there because God placed them there because they died. They were martyrs. They were killed. And so now they are worshiping before the throne and God has placed them there. And so when I'm saying we're trying to achieve what we see in Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 9 in our local church, well, are we doing it? Are we legislating that kind of diversity? Is Are we doing like a, a, a Christian uh, affirmative action where um, we have we have to make sure that we we have a black elder and we have an Asian elder and we have an, a brown elder and we have a white elder to to help make up that kind of diversity? Um, are 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 we um, doing like these little trends where it's cool to have um, a young hip black guy uh, join your church planting team uh, to so you look diverse? Um, are we looking down on other churches because they're not as diverse as others? And so, again, this becomes um, a hermeneutic in which we're interpreting um, our own experiences, you mm-hmm. know, through the scriptures. And then it, it, it's, it's setting a false precedent of what God really intended. Like I said before, you know, Christ said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Christ will build his church and he'll place everybody where they're supposed to be. I've made the sentiment before. I go to Jarvis Street. We're very multicultural. Why? Because we're in Toronto. We're in the heart of the city. And mm-hmm. our my church community reflects what the city looks like. We have everybody there from every class, from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Um, mm-hmm. The goal is not to have multicultural churches. The goal is to reach every every nationality. And like I said before in the Kanye episode, you know, the goal in the, like Jesus Christ is king. And because he is a king, he has a kingdom. And every kingdom has an agenda. And the agenda of Christ's kingdom is to redeem the lost, free them from uh, spiritual, demonic oppression, and bring in the new heavens and new earth. So when Jesus says, all power and authority has been given unto me, Matthew 28, verse 18, and we see him as king. So that means he's sovereign, he's ruling everything. And we look at the way things are here today, the, the the disparity, the inequality, the injustice we see today. If Jesus Christ is sovereign and he's a good God, and we look at the 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 world falling apart around us, what do we make of his rule? By looking at our experiences, by by looking at um, the inequality we see today. What do we make of his rule? Well, we, we make of his rule that he's not a good ruler. He's not a good king. Well, why would we conclude that? Because our we're not on Christ's agenda. We're, we're on a social justice agenda. We're on a woke agenda. That's not a kingdom mm-hmm. agenda. So it's very important. Yeah, are you, for, are you a Christian first? Well, well, and again, but but again, but sometimes Christians aren't aren't up on their on 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 the right perspective, on the right theology, on understanding what the agenda of the kingdom is. So once you have the right perspective, yeah, it makes sense why we still see um, the 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 opposition between good and evil. And that will that will continue to be until Christ's return. But uh, in regards to what Christ's agenda is, is it being is Christ successful? Of course, church people are being saved. Well, Kanye mm-hmm. Kanye's being saved. Lamar Odom's being saved. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Bieber song. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, you know, that's not the mark, but my, my point is that. Um, Yo, I heard a podcast today. The guy was saying he thinks Kevin Hart maybe even. Oh, 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 yeah. After his experience. Yeah, yeah. With the with the car crash. Yeah. But but again, like part of it is we have to look at what was Christ's agenda. And as much as and I'm not saying don't help out people and not trying to raise people up from poverty or help those in need. I'm not saying that. Like Christ or, wants or us. address injustices. Yeah, yeah. And, and Christ wants, yeah, of course. Right. And Christ wants us to be salt and light and, and, to, and to be in the culture and helping people. But but that was not the main agenda. So if we're judging the the condition of the church and 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 or for unbelievers judging the credibility of Christ based on the way we see culture going, um, yeah, you're going to get a misinterpretation and then a crummy perspective of uh, Jesus. So it's well, very, or, I mean, essentially, you're you're saying it's like you can't judge the theology based on sinful man's poor application of their beliefs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so it's very important, right? Like. The sinner is like the church is full of sinners. The church is going to continue to fall flat on its face with regards to a particular context. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the will of the or God's will for the church, you know, as you said, heaven's gates can't pre- or heaven's gates, hell's gates can't prevail against it. Right, and and, and right. like and, and hell can't church, prevail. Yeah, and Christ's church will prevail. Um, again, it, the agenda was not for diversity because diversity insinuates equality, but that wasn't the point. The point was to redeem his elect wherever they are. If you like, come on, you go to certain parts of the world. There's only a particular type of people. How can you have diversity when you have only black people <laughs> living in the country, only brown people <laughs> living in a country, only white people living in a country? It's it's a faulty ecclesiology. So I just wanted to make sure that we're clear on that. That we have to make sure that we have the right agenda in regards to what mm-hmm. Christ is doing, and we're not putting in these false hermeneutics of these worldly hermeneutics of um, disparity, equality. Um, you know, inequality and all these things. You know, you put what you said was really key, and I want to I want to come back to it just for a second. Is like we need to have a biblical, a, a thorough biblical criteria, not just like because he's trying to paint a biblical criteria for how we judge the church to say, oh, it's not fulfilling, you know, the gospel, or it's not fulfilling text, it's not fulfilling script, particular scripture, right? That that's what he's trying to paint. But but it's not a, you know, as you've just laid out, it's not a proper exegesis of the text because a biblical, a, you know, way of judging the church isn't to say, oh, is it is it multicultural? And, and, and that's your only criteria. Uh, so Pastor D.A. Horton, he came out with a book called Intentional, Kingdom Ethnicity, in a divided world. And he makes this argument that the idea of racial reconciliation is not biblical, nor is it historically accurate because he was just saying like, okay, well, first of all, racial reconciliation assumes that there's more than one race. Biblically speaking, there's only one (laughs) race, right? That's the human race. Mm -hmm. And then, so, so instead of race, we use the terms ethnicity as that's what the bible uses ethnicity and that's the language we should be using and then when it comes to reconciliation there's an assumption that there was a point where where you know blacks and whites were cut were um where the conciliation was there where there was peace between um um ethnicities or racial groups for the sake of the argument but 
that was that was never a historical um, happening. That was, right. That that was never mm-hmm. that never happened. So so mm-hmm. why are we saying to reconcile to go back to something that never was? And so he says mm-hmm. he prefers the term ethnic conciliation, and that way we're starting from the point of recognizing, uh, you know, the distinctions within um, what within a particular race, right? You know, you have the right, you have Nigerians, you have Ghanians, you have Jamaicans, you have mm-hmm. Trinidadians. Ethnic conciliation, I like that term in regards to um, being biblically faithful sound. versus, yeah, bib- biblically sound versus um, using these these secular terms and these things that aren't bib- aren't biblically accurate, uh, racial reconciliation. Well, yeah, I think, I think it's a fair, like, I, you know, for me, the profundity or the profoundness of it is recognizing, you know, in in the creation story, that's what we're being reconciled back to. Yeah. Right? We're being reconciled back to the garden in the sense of, you know, our communion with God. Right? And and what and and so you know, differentiating that by you not saying, okay, I don't want to use the word reconciliation. I want to use the word conciliation because, as you said, we were never at peace. Whereas, you know, in the in, in Genesis one, we started out at peace with God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know, sin caused the the great divide, if you want to call it that. Right. You know, and so I I think it's it is actually really profound now. You know the predicament from a cultural perspective, or, or a, you know, is that we use the term reconciliation, not in the manner that it is used biblically, mm-hmm. right? Because if you think of it in that sense, you know, we reconcile with people all the time, but but you know, um, we don't really think of it as oh, we were at peace with them before, and now I need to restore peace, um, because I would say. As sinful human beings, are we really at peace with anyone? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now my last point is O. And that has to do with other brothers. And so the argument I'm making here is that one thing I noticed about Jamar Tisby's writing, and it's very clever. Uh, he only, he writes in a way that, in, in a blanket statement, that all black people agree with him and that all white people are one way and so the assumption is that yeah all black people agree with him but that's not true you know there's tons of uh, guys within the same reformed camp that are black that that disagree with him hence the term shout out sam say yeah well since since, since hence the term other brothers and so like even like in the um black forgiveness episode and Mm -hmm. in his article about black forgiveness you know he wrote in a way where it was assuming that you know all black people think the same and all black people agree with him but it's kind of like i don't know this good analogy but so you know with jay-z i remember there was a point in time in jay-z's career when he was you know at the top and you know guys would come in they would you know write a diss track you know, dissing Jay, <laughs> and Jay wouldn't respond because he was just like, "Well, I'm not giving that of course guy a you're platform." Me. Yeah, well, yeah, well, part of, I'm not. I'm not giving that guy a platform. I'm not going to give that guy a voice. 
He's like, as soon as I mention it, then you know what I mean? Then that guy is going to get a voice. And so he never really mentions uh, the other brothers that would disagree with him, right? Uh, so like, it's funny, like, uh, you know what I think about? I think about um, the intellectual dark web, okay. right? Right, oh, right. Yep. For, the, for those yep. people who don't know what the intellectual dark IDW. web is. Yeah, so the intellectual dark web is basically uh, a group of intellectuals who are against the uh, status quo of political correctness. Right? So we're talking about, you know, the usual suspects. You know, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, Joe, um, Rogan. Joe Rogan, and so forth. Right. So, you know, so Sam I'll, Harris. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. So, I, you know, and I was thinking in my head, I'm like, you know, like I'm seeing, you know, Jamar Tisby and, and, and those guys uh, and um, um, Anthony Bradley and and so forth. And I'm thinking like on this side and those people who would disagree with them as, you know, the intellectual black web. <laughs> right well it was made up of guys like you know daryl harrison virgil walker uh body body bakum body sockum bakum uh sam say uh chris williams and um uh, david shannon aka chocolate knox right team spoke right um chocolate knox of um cross politic uh, but yeah. The reason why I bring this up, and it goes back to my point about unempathizable. So, you know, white people cannot empathize with that camp of black people because of their ideology. But as black people um, on this side, uh, with me and Sam Say and so forth, we can empathize with those black people like we can talk about being called a nigger like we can relate to be called being called a nigger i can relate to being pulled over i can relate to being detained because i looked like a shooter from last night's shooting mm -hmm. right i can i can relate to being uh searched outside of the shoppers drug mart right i can relate to those um humiliating experiences but you know we come out on the other end with a different perspective. Throughout the opening of the book, he's saying, don't look away, don't look away. That's what Jamar's saying in the book. Don't look away. Look at the look at the terribleness of racism. Look at the look at look at the lynching. Look at this guy getting beat so bad his eye falls out of socket. Look at this raping. Look at this pillaging. Look at these four little girls blown up in the church and their body parts are spread all over the place. Don't look away. Keep looking. Don't look away. Okay? My dad raised me to look and not look away. I've been looking, and on the other end, I have a different perspective, Jamar. And so do a bunch of other brothers. Right? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, there's a conversation that needs to happen. And that way, um, white people um, can, can, can listen in on the conversation and pick a side versus hearing the one narrative. Because if it's one thing that bakes my biscuits, that makes me mad, is Bible bullies. If it's one thing that makes me angry is seeing people being taken advantage of um, with people using the Bible to make people feel guilty for things they haven't done. 
and I and on top of reading this book, I watched a lot of his lectures on the book, and I would see him walk through um, these uh, terrible atrocities that happened to black people and making the white people in the room feel like they were complicit in it. Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, well, if you want that guilt to go away, well, okay, um, make sure you vote for whatever party is for reparations. Like, yeah. no, no, I, that that's, no, no, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. So what I'm saying is that um, for, for my white brothers and sisters, um, especially those who are in Christ, right, I, I want you to at least say, okay, let me listen to both sides. Let me let let me listen to what Jamar has to say. Let me listen to to what uh, Eric Mason has to say. Let me listen to what Anthony Bradley has to say, and then turn around. So, okay, let me listen to what Daryl and Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker have to say. Right. Let me hear what let me hear what Vadi has to say. Okay, now I can step step back and and compare the two arguments and say, okay, well, you know what? This sounds more biblical. I'm I'm gonna roll with this camp. But the only reason why uh, the other brothers aren't being heard is because why? Because Cause they have co- an opinion they don't like. Well, no, because conservative people don't don't share conservative thought. Yeah, you know what's funny is like I was actually listening to an episode of Cross Politic today, and they were interviewing a guy who was basically saying, you know, conservatives actually need to get back in the the political sphere, like conservative Christians more so. Oh, I feel like you know, for you know, people who hold to conservative ideas. Um, you know, being intellectual and hanging out in the ivory tower. And, you know, we, we say our peace, but we're not sharing the ideas. Like even like, and that's why I, that's why I presented this, this, the, the, this true low principle and this apologetic, because there are white people being taken advantage of, right? Being felt mm-hmm. guilty for mm-hmm. things they have not done. That's injustice. And so what I'm saying is that for like our white listeners who 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 listen to us and listen to, you know, the other brothers and they are freed from that guilt. It feels good. It feels good not to have um, con- that condemnation over you. But guess what? There are white people who don't who've never heard these ideas. There are white people who mm-hmm. are walking around with guilt that's not theirs. Yeah, you see they're, what I'm they're guilty for sin they didn't commit. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So I'm like, yo, like, like, yo, share the content. Like, pass it on. Click, click share. Email it to somebody. Say, yo, bro, yo, you should try taking in uh, and listening to another perspective um, from, from another black perspective. Mm-hmm. Other than Other than that, you know, those guys that you're listening to. Um, and yeah, we, we need to start making sure that the ideas are going as far as they can, because it always ends up in a situation where, you know, these bad ideas spread like wildfire. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's important that, that these good ideas are continually um, um, opposing those ideas where there's always um, dialogue um, in the public square. The way how the narrative is right now, the other brothers don't exist. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever and, heard and, of Daryl Harrison. Nobody's ever heard of Sam Say. Well, I, I you know, I think uh you know Daryl Harrison's podcast is doing pretty well for itself. Yeah, yeah. So. Well I mean But I, but yeah. but still you're right. Yeah. Like that's still, you know, even a hundred thousand downloads. Like, you know, if like that's nothing. There's three hundred million people in the US, right? Um, you know, thirty million in Canada. Mm-hmm. 
right? So, you know, what's frustrating me, like, or, or frustrates me about Jamar Tisby more than anything is I feel, you know, he's very much a rah-rah type of speaker in that he wants to get you on his side and he work, he wants to work you up to get you on his side. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really... And and I, I mean, I listened to, and, and this is coming more from like listening to his podcast. So when we did, you know, way back when we did our statement on the social justice and the gospel, I listened to, there was two episodes. I actually put it in the show notes page, two episodes of his past the mic podcast. Um, and I think I ended up listening to like four or five more episodes. I think it was total six. So that would have been four more episodes. And, and I just, I couldn't listen anymore because I felt, most of the, like I just one I wasn't really you know I want to find stuff that I disagree with that I can engage with but I felt like I wasn't really learning anything because he's I, I would say he's not really engaging ideas he's not trying to tell you why his ideas are the best he's trying to paint his picture his ideas in the best possible light um, and and as a result that's why I you know I said he's a raw raw type of a speaker because He's not trying to to teach you. He's trying to get you on his side. Mm-hmm. And and I would think from the, the you know Sam Say's criticism of the book, from uh, James White's criticism of the second again both second half of the book, you know he's conveniently excluding facts while conveniently including other facts in order to paint the picture like. The Democrats are the party to save the black people as opposed to Republicans or are racists. And, you know, just to simply it's like, you know, James White's comment was like, oh, no mention of, you know, the fact that the Democrats started the KKK. Right. No. And he just went on. You know, James White mentioned a few other things. I think he mentioned a specific um, Democrat for that was like 50 years in office or something crazy. I can't remember the new specifics of it. But the point I'm trying to make or, or the point that, that these guys made is that, you know, he's he it, it's not fair handed. You know, it's like what we talk about on this show or, you know, one of our objectives is to be straw man free. Um, and, and really, I mean, it comes down to like even in our conversation now, I you know, I'm trying Okay, I want at times to be like, okay if I'm if I'm trying to be as gracious as possible towards his points, you know I can say he's got some valid points. I just take issue, and and I'm assuming you take issue with the presentation of everything as a whole, because he's actually, in my opinion, he's undermining any of his own points at the end of the day because he hasn't shown it in, you know, a fair, even-handed way. Yeah, and so. You know, that, that brings me to, I guess, um, the bonus material of dealing with with his solutions to the problem. So his solutions to the problem that the church has created are not biblical, but political. Right? Mm-hmm. So he's talking about um, pushing for reparations, voting a certain way. So the reparations, the verse he uses for that is Numbers chapter 5, verse 7. And he says, He shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. Okay, so now it's from Numbers <laughs> Five seven, and so 
again, like exegetically, my thing was this, like, yes, that, that sounds great, but what does the rest of the verse say? Right? What does the rest of the verse say to give it context? So again, we can't just interpret verses on its own. You know, words are interpreted in light of the sentence it's in, and then the sentence is interpreted in light of the paragraph it's found in, and then that paragraph is interpreted in light of the chapter it's found in, and that chapter is interpreted in light of the book it's found in, and that book is interpreted in light of the whole canon of scripture. And so when you keep on reading past uh, verse seven, it says, but, so we have the conjunction, but, so there's an exception here, Right. And he says this, if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest in addition to the ram of atonement with which atonement is made for him. So, again, the next of kin, if the person is not being is not able to be found, then that the then that payment goes to the priest so that atonement can be made that reconciliation can be made right yeah i think so so no so so part of it is 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 that again one you can make the connection to kinship that okay yes um when 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 the injustice happened yes um those people who suffered under um under the hands of slave masters, they should have received some kind of compensation. But now, you mm-hmm. know, you go throughout the years and uh, throughout the centuries and you see, okay, well, there could be some displacement. There, there might be um, a lineage that dies out and there is no kingship to, pa- kinship to pass it on. Um, now, that's just one aspect. But then the other aspect is atonement and being reconciled um, by the Lord. And so we, we look at these things and we're like, okay, well, how, how, do we, how do we look at it in regards to applying to us today, right? So that's what it meant to them then, mm-hmm. but what did it mean to us today? And so when we look at the Old Testament, the number one question exegetically, exegetically we must ask is, is there a verse of continuity or discontinuity? And what I mean by that is that there are verses in the Bible that affirm the continuation of a practice in the Old Testament, or there are verses that discontinue practices in the Old Testament. It's the same thing with um, with with, with um, Islam. Now, not to go off on on a tangent, but it's the same thing with Islam. You know, you read a passage and it and it talks about killing infidels. So the next question you have to ask is, excuse me, sir, is there a passage of continuity or discontinuity that works alongside this? But anyways, mm-hmm. and there isn't one, just for the sake of clarify there isn't one that <laughs> tells them, the point. yeah there isn't one that tells them to discontinue those practices but anyways so when we look at when we look into the scripture and we look at the continuity and discontinuity uh, we come to Matthew chapter 5 which is the Sermon on the Mount and for those of you who don't know the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus's plan for human flourishing right uh, so you start at chapter 5 and then you come to chapter 17 and 20 and then uh, we have Jesus giving you the main thesis of his sermon. And so he's basically saying, you know, I did not come 
to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to accomplish it, meaning that the Old Testament law was incomplete and Jesus has come to fulfill it. And so throughout the sermon, he's giving um, nuances to the Old Testament law. And now he comes to this, one of the concepts or principles of the uh, Old Testament law about retaliation. Now listen to this, uh, chapter 5, verse 38, and he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? Restitution. Mm -hmm. You took something away from me. I want to be, um, I want to be fully compensated. But Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So basically we see the reiteration of what we saw in Numbers chapter 5, verse 7, right? That um, eye for an eye, two for a tooth, retaliation. This, this whole, Jesus' whole thing is this. He flips everything on, on its head. Any ideology that we have have held to, Jesus basically presents us options that make force us to give up um, our uh, political identities, our racial identities, um, and we have to, like, kind of, they use the term, I heard a, uh, a theologian use the term, the upside-down kingdom. Like, the way Jesus asks, calls us to act um, is contrary to the way uh, the world will tell us how to act and the way we want to act. Right? So that's mm-hmm. why we're saying, okay, well, you heard it say tooth for tooth, eye for an eye. But I'm saying, well, no, uh, turn the other cheek. Go an extra mile. Right? Keep mm-hmm. it moving. Um, and don't look for retaliation. And it's interesting because even like he references Luke 19, 8 um, and about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and and basically Zacchaeus, um, you know, paying back the people he stole from. Well, yes, Zacchaeus paid back those people that he stole from. And even on the flip side of the argument is, you know, for those black people who are, um, who were enslaved and were raped uh, you know, mutilated, humiliated. As descendant of that person, if you are, if you are, if you can prove that you are a descendant of that person, what price do you put on a woman that was raped? What price do you put on a person uh, that was lynched and had his head bashed in so bad his eye fell out? What price do you put on that, Joel? How much does that cost? How much do you how much do you put on a family torn apart? Right? How, how much do you put on a man that was that's been lashed? Right? What mm-hmm. what kind like even even that sounds evil? What 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 dollar figure do you put on it? And even look, you're not even factoring inflation. But yeah, like, I mean, come it's on, a, man. It's a question that's almost unanswerable. And 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 you know, here's the dilemma. So let's say someone came up with a number. Mm-hmm. What what are they gonna like? What happens if twenty five years from now, let's say society is roughly the same as it is today? The answer is gonna be well, the reparations weren't enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 I mean, I only say that to you know. Okay, maybe that's a pessimistic look at it. Fine, but this, you know, I would even say, even if you were holding to 
to the the first, you know the Old Testament passage of what we're called to do. You know what I said at the beginning of this episode, right? It's about particular sin with a particular restitution. Not a general, like, and the reason I use the term general is to say, like, you know, if you can show me uh, a slave master family lineage and you can show me the person who they need, the people or the, you know, let's say the large numbers of people that they need to compensate, okay, fine. Like, that's a different conversation than general reparations funded by the general population. Like, those two things don't equate. So in conclusion, Jamar Tisby offers the solution of ARC, A-R-C, Awareness, Relationships, and Commitment. So awareness of the problem, then making relationships, and then a commitment to like going along with these political solutions, right? So one of the suggestions he makes in regards to being aware is, you know, watching documentaries about racial history of the United States, uh, diversify your social media feed by following racial and ethnic minorities and those with different political outlooks than yours, which is good. Uh, Access websites and podcasts created by racial and ethnic minorities. Well, which ones? Probably not the others. But anyways, do an internet search about a particular topic instead of always asking your black friend to explain an issue to you. Eh, eh, I, I, I think you know you should be able to explain your stance uh, to people. Uh, but one of yeah, the ones, and, you know, it's funny in the in the video I watched, he basically said something like, "Oh, we're tired. Use Google." It was it was a really weird. Yeah. Well, comment. I mean, well, okay. Well, if somebody asks you about the gospel, is is that the response <laughs> you give? You know, you're tired. Google, You've got Google. Google. Right, no, right, but that's not a biblical response because if somebody asks you about the hope you have, discipleship, go exegete it themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yep. again, so so part of it is like it really irked me. I was like, okay, so you know, you're saying that the issues were were bit were caused by the church, you know, the biblical institution, but then, you know, the solutions are political. So I I saw a mismatch there in him pushing these political ideas, especially the one of reparation and and so when i was looking at that it was very interesting because he talks about like a civil reparation but then there's also like a church reparations right so there's a civil reparations and then he's saying like okay and there's also a church uh reparations and so the church one would you know the civil one is a civil one we know about that but the church one he was saying that and I quote from uh, page 249, he says, churches could lead society by independently declaring a literal or figurative year of jubilee for black people. They could pool resources and for a year help pay off the debts of black families. Or they could invest large amounts into trust funds for black youth who now experience disproportionate rates of poverty in America. Or... Right. <laughs> you could teach a man to fish. But again, but but I was watching one of his videos and, and he humbly, he humbly admitted that he's no economist. And I said, well, that's the problem. That's the whole, that's the problem with this whole so- social justice thing. This social justice issue is an economic issue 
And for us Christians, it's an economic and theological issue. And you have to be schooled in both schools of thought. And the conversation has to incorporate both. You can't just turn a blind eye to the economics and just say, okay, well, I'm going to pick and choose a couple verses that support my stance and, and, and rally a couple people. Say, you know, the, the economics of it is is interesting. I mean, uh, so one of the other criticisms I listened to was A.D. Robles, again, from uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast, Cross Politic Network. Um, he, he, his big thing was like economic ignorance. You know, he, I mean, he basically blasted a part of the book where, uh, he defined slavery in a very like, you know, basic sort of capitalistic manner. Um, and I was like, and you know, I'll put the, the episode in the show notes page, but, but the reason I, I bring that up is to say, you know, at the we we've said this before on the show, I think, um, but economics comes into play because, um, in the realm of how, so the Bible calls us to help the poor, but it doesn't necessarily give us prescription on how do we help the poor, and economics can start to give us some insight on. How do people respond to incentives? How and 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 how would one option versus another option actually be helpful? What like you might have two options, and one's really helpful in the short term, like giving somebody food. You know, giving a guy food today is helpful in the short term, but in the long term, it's not going to make a difference for his situation. And so, starting you know, economics actually starts to provide us insight into how do we help the poor long term. And, and for their for them to be able to help themselves long term um, because you know yeah obviously there's scenarios where some people can't help themselves and, and we need to take care of the poor and the needy in that regard but for the most part um, helping people transitionally so that they can be self-sustaining is better for society as a whole like Right, and and that's I, part of the reason why we started started this show because you know we want to make sure that we can have more nuanced conversations about society by having better vocabulary to articulate economic realities as well as theological realities. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you know there, this issue. I think we've said you know my my two cents on on the book on on this you know, on the issues of reparations and, 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 you know, social justice and everything is that for the most part, there's a lack of dialogue. Um, there's a lack of team woke, having a conversation with team spoke, hashing through their differences, you know, bringing the text to, to bear, you know, where do we, who's got a found a solid foundation. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know that, you know, Team Woke is more at fault for that than Team Spoke. Um, I I can speculate, but I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's where I think at least me and you try to be, you know, even-handed towards those on the other side. So, so what do you want to leave the listener with with respect to this book? Uh, with respect to this issue, uh, I think again, it's good. It's good to read books that you disagree with. Um, I just feel like 
uh, yeah, just make sure you um, read it with a critical eye and read all books. Not just, yeah, just even the books you like. Look at, read it with a critical eye. Look for the main argument. Uh, be aggressive with it. And yeah, and just look and remember, uh, remember the principal Chulo. <laughs> Church, <laughs> hatred, unempathizable, uh, legislated diversity versus spirit-led uh, diversity and other brothers and like even when i think about the principle of like you said like conversation between team woke and team spoke i think of acts chapter 16 where paul tells timothy to get circumcised right to please uh to to, ma- to make uh to eliminate the barrier between uh paul uh timothy as a young leader and and the jewish people Right, mm-hmm. because Timothy's dad was a Greek and his mom was a Jew, and but Timothy wasn't circumcised. But now Timothy's a young leader and he's going into that Jewish community to lead, and they're not going to accept him. Mm-hmm. They're not going to accept him. So now Paul could easily just say, "Okay, well, take him to this passage and take him, tell him Proof. that you know the veil, the veil has been torn." Paul, well, well, no, <laughs> Paul doesn't tell Timothy to go tell him the veil has been tor- torn. He's like, "Look, man, you know." Don't give him a don't don't give him a reason not to let you in the door. Well, well, not just no, no. They they, they, they there's a barrier that the Jews have, but it's not. Well, and that's what I mean, right? Like in that context, if he doesn't even get in the door, you're not going to give him the proof text to why it doesn't matter that he's not circumcised. Well, yeah, but well, if, but well, it's more so the like the point I'm making is that that Timothy had to be circumcised so that they would listen to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the point I'm making about the other brothers is that, like, like, okay, let's flip this whole episode around. Joel said what I said, and I said what Joel said. Mm-hmm. How are black people receiving what Joel says if he said what I said? Not a chance. I, I'm just got white privilege, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. That that's my point. Like, and and as as much as you know, like we want to say, yes, truth always prevails. But I'm telling you, like, if I could, if I could just speak honestly, like, yo, like some black people ha- interpret life in a different through a different lens, and that, and I'm talking about myself. There's just a bias that black people think with when it comes to these racial issues. So based on the color of your skin, whatever you say does not matter. It does not count. Yes, okay, yes, truth prevails. But it, but for some black people and their thinking, it does not count. Right? But if I mm-hmm. say it, then it would be heard because I'm... Because they can relate to me, they I'm black. I've 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 had the same experiences. Same thing with 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 Tim, Timothy. Him being circumcised was was a sign to the Jews to say, okay, yo, he's one of us. We can listen to him. Mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. This is the same principle um, that I'm making about the other brothers. That like yo, like as much as um, you know, Tony Costa or or, or Scott Masson or or whoever. Uh, speaks out against the foolishness we see in in, in, in in some of the black community, they're not going to be heard. But if a mm-hmm. black person says it, then it would be heard. And now that's where the conversation happens. And now people will say, okay, well, the other brothers would be called, what What would the other brothers be called? 
Coons, <laughs> Uncle Tom. <laughs> Coons, Uncle Toms. But my point is this. Within the Christian community, Jamar Tisby cannot call me a coon. Micah Edmondson can't call me a coon. Eric Mason can't call me a coon. Why? Because I'm their brother in Christ. We don't get down like that. That's not a sign of humility. Mm -hmm. That's not a sign of love. You know what I mean? So they can't, mm -hmm. they can't call me that. All they can say is, okay, let me hear what you have to say, brother. And the same thing with me. I can't call them a name. I got to sit down with them. I'm like, okay, well, 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 well let's dialogue and, and let's record it and let's have some people listen and let them be the judge. Right? But, but, that, mm -hmm. but we haven't even got there. We're not there yet. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so you can complain all you want about, uh, oh, you know, uh, white privilege and um, uh, systemic racism and, and, and white supremacy. Where Why are all these ideas thriving? Because you're not sharing the content that offers forgiveness. Not all white people own slaves and not all black people are descendants of slaves. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, 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 takes, it takes courage to share truth. To share this content, if you believe this person, if you believe we're speaking truth, if you, if you believe that others are speaking truth, then you have to kind of muster up that courage to share it because you know it's already going to receive pushback, right? So that's something you got to pray about. That's what I'm saying. And, mm -hmm. and again, the only reason why I'm fired up is because like, I don't like people being, being bullied by Bible bullies, I don't. I don't like mm -hmm. people being put people uh, putting burdens on people that people don't deserve to have on them, and that's what I saw Jamar Tisby doing in his lectures, and that's what that was the sentiment I was getting from this book. And so, black people are probably reading this book, and they're probably you know firing off on their Christian brothers and sisters when that's not right. So that's what I'm saying. So I hope I hope this uh, uh, this episode is encouraging to you. And again, um. Like I said, the only hill I'm going to die on is Calvary. My mind can be changed. These things to me are just secondary issues. Um, and the gospel is a primary issue for me. Um, so I'm, I'm open to, to the conversation. I'm open to having my mind changed. Uh, if you disagreed with anything I said, uh, give me some feedback and, let, and let's keep this conversation going. Uh, you can find me at Dugada Darnell, D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell on Twitter and Instagram and Darnell Samuels on Facebook. Yeah, you can hit me up T Joel and thirty nine at all the social media, and uh, email us six cents report at gmail dot com, and uh, like, share, give us your feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. Give Darnell some more homework. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and remember, don't believe the hype. Read the type. <laughs>